Father, we praise and thank you for your great, glorious, wonderful mercy, and that you are the King of Kings. You are the Lord of Lords, and we do bow down to you, and we do delight to serve in your kingdom according to whatever you direct us to do. Father, we pray that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will be present in this service today, that you'll touch our hearts, that you will strengthen us in these times that seem tumultuous, that we recall that you have everything in your hands, that you don't take your eyes off of anything, and you will bring to pass, according to your perfect will and purpose, those things that you have desired. And we praise and thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everybody. God's message. You know, with all the activities that are going on in the Middle East, it just breaks my heart, and I can't imagine what it does for, the, for that one that sits on the throne. God's message. He who hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. I know little about nuclear fission, or uranium and the elements that are used in making nuclear explosives. Yet, I believe I've heard of the atomic bomb, and so have you. But how can we believe that it exists if we don't understand it, or we don't have the scientific knowledge about the way it works? The answer is obvious. Others understand nuclear fission even if we don't. And others have seen what happens when a nuclear reaction takes place, even if we haven't. We have read what they say, and we accept that as testimony as a reliable witness. <clears throat> as we spend much time pursuing the pages of the book, the Bible, you discover that centuries ago, God acted and spoke and reliable witnesses have written it down. God even guided them as they wrote, so that I now read the very words of God himself. Amen. I may not understand everything that there is to know about God, but I know him and I trust him because I have read of him in the Bible. Most of all, I know he came down to this earth in the person of his son. And the grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The hope for today, advanced degrees are nice, and the ability to read Greek and Hebrew is impressive. 
Yet over the years, many of the most moving testimonies that we've experienced are from those that know the promise because the Bible tells me so. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If you'd like to stand and join us. No one else will 
I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. today from 1st Thessalonians um, the entire chapter 3 it was part of my devotion all week and it just really touched me and um, blessed me so I wanted to share it with you all finally when I could stand it no longer I decided to stay alone in Athens and send Timothy our brother and fellow worker God's minister to visit you to strengthen your faith and encourage you and to keep you from becoming faint-hearted in all the troubles you were going through. But of course, you know that such troubles are a part of God's plan for us Christians. Even while we were still with you, we warned you ahead of time that suffering would soon come, and it did. As I was saying, when I could bear the suspense no longer, I sent Timothy to find out whether your faith was still strong. I was afraid that perhaps Satan had gotten the best of you, and that all your work had been useless. And now Timothy has just returned and brings the welcome news that your faith and love are as strong as ever, and that you remember our visit with joy and want to see us just as much as we want to see you. So we are greatly comforted, dear brothers, in all of our own crushing troubles troubles and suffering here, now that we know you are standing true to the Lord. We can bear anything as long as we know that you remain strong in him. How can we thank God enough for you and for the joy and delight you have given us in our praying for you? For night and day we pray on and on for you, asking God to let us see you again, to fill up any little cracks there may yet be in your faith. May God our Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ send us back to you again, 
and may the Lord make your love to grow and overflow to each other and to everyone else, just as our love does toward you. This will result in your hearts being made strong, sinless, and holy by God our Father, so that you may stand before him guiltless on that day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns with all those who belong to him. Praise God. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for this day and for this opportunity to come before you to pray. To pray for, those, to pray for the needs of this church, those listed on our prayer page, and for unspoken requests. We pray for the wisdom and forgiveness of our sins and for our church, Desert Gardens. May your will be done in each circumstances, in each circumstance, Father God. Jehovah Rapha, you are our healer. You and you alone, we will trust you in all things. In Jesus Christ's holy name I pray, amen. Good morning. If you need to be encouraged this morning, Psalm 27 is the place to go. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me, who eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Now, if you will stand with me, we can recite the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. <clears throat>
Thank you, Ray and Ron. That was beautiful. Our gospel reading today comes from Matthew 21, verses 33 through 46. Now listen to another story. A certain landowner planted a vineyard, built a wall around it, dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice, and built a lookout tower. Then he leased the vineyard to tenant farmers and moved to another country. At the time of the grape harvest, he sent his servants to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers grabbed his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. So the landowner sent a larger group of his servants to collect for him, but the results were the same. Finally, the landowner sent his son, thinking, Surely they will respect my son. But when the tenant farmer saw his son coming, they said to one another, here comes the heir to his, this estate. Come on, let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. So they gra grabbed him, dragged him out to the vineyard and murdered him. When the owner of the vineyard returns, Jesus asked, what do you think he will do to these farmers? The religious leaders replied, he will put the wicked men to a horrible death and lease the vineyards to others who will give him his share of the crop after each harvest. Then Jesus asked them, didn't you ever read this in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is a wonderful to see. I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation that will produce the proper fruit. Anyone who stumbles over that stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone it falls on. When the leading priests and the Pharisees heard this parable, they realized he was telling the story against them. They were the wicked farmers. They wanted to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowds who considered Jesus to be a prophet. Will you join me in our responsive reading? O oh God of steadfast love, at the wedding in Cana, your son Jesus turned water into wine, delighting all who were there. Transform our hearts by your spirit, that we may you very gifts to show forth the light of your love as one body in Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are so gracious to us. You give us your wisdom. You, as we acknowledge our sins and come to you, you forgive us. Lord, you, you gave your son, the most perfect being, to die for us, to forgive us of those sins. And Lord, you share with us all that it really belongs to you. And you call on us to share back that we may be lights like your son was a light 
that we can shine on to others to show them just what it means to be part of your family and to make it look, try to make it look as glorious as it is. We know we can never be that glorious, but we can sure show the light of your love that you have shown to us. So we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes I fall to my knees and pray. Come, Jesus, come. Let today be the day. Sometimes I feel like I'm gonna break, but I'm holding on to a hope that won't fade. Come, Jesus, come. We've been
Cause it might be today The time is right now There's no need to wait Your past will be washed By rivers of grace Is this your prayer this morning? Come, Jesus, come. Are you holding on to a hope that won't fade? Come, Jesus, come. We've been waiting so long. You will heal every hurt and right every wrong. One day you'll come and we'll stand face to face. And our past will be washed by rivers of grace. Stephen McWhorter wrote and sings this song. He was a meth addict before he met Jesus. He knows all about those rivers of grace. That's why he sings with such passion. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Wash us, drown us in rivers of grace this morning. We want to swim in the deep end of your ocean. Make it so, Father. Speak to us your words of truth. Enlighten us, encourage us, empower us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're continuing in our sermon series, Children of God. This is part eight. Today's sermon's title is a question. Is God sovereign in your life? My text will be 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and John chapter 6. Most of us have children who have distanced themselves from Christ. They keep Jesus and his claim on their lives at an arm's length. 
we fear for their spiritual well-being. And because their spiritual well-being is questionable, we fear for their general well-being. Come, Jesus, come and turn this around. Deep down, I know this world isn't home. We watch our children make the same mistakes we made. We watch them get far too comfortable with this world. And I know most of you are thinking, I'm not just worried about my adult children, I'm also worried about my grandchildren. We try our best to warn them of just how broken this road of life can be. But I love the song we just heard because it invites us to come lay it all down. All the worry, all the angst, all the heartbreak. The time is right now. No need to wait. Your past will be washed by rivers of grace. Slide one, please. In John chapter 6, Jesus has just finished feeding the 5,000. And he instructs his disciples to go on ahead of him. They cross over the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum. As he has indicated that he will meet them on the other side. Do you see the imagery here? Jesus has told us to cross over the river of life. And he will meet us on the other side. In Matthew's account, the disciples start their voyage just before evening has begun. In Bible times, evening is the first watch of the night, 6 p.m. But Jesus doesn't come to them walking on the water until the fourth watch, 3 a.m. Matthew says, when evening had come, they were already caught in the throes of the tempest. I've been caught in the throes of a tempest. I was in a 38-foot cabin cruiser, which is about four times the size of the vessel that the disciples were in. And we were facing 12 to 14-foot waves. And the wind was so strong, we had to keep heading into the waves or we would be capsized. And just like Jonah, you pray the Psalms. The Psalms are our default because they are the book of prayer. And you do your best not to panic. But when you read the rest of this story, not only does Jesus come to his disciples in the midst of the storm, he also climbs in the boat with them and delivers them instantly to the other side. Let me tell you how God works. He tells us to love him with all our heart, all our mind, all our body, all our soul. And our soul operates in the same principle as our body. Our body is a network of muscle and bone, ligaments, cartilage, and that network has to be stretched. It has to be strained. It has to be exercised for it to become strong and to stay strong. 
God will leave you in the middle of the tempest as long as it takes for him to work the wonders of his grace into your heart and the strength of his character into yours. If you want God to be sovereign in your children's lives and all those you call family, you have to be willing to stay on the lake as long as it takes. You have to be willing to weather the storm for Jesus to become sovereign in your life. You have to weather the storm. And who gives you the grace and strength to do that? Jesus. If the way we follow Jesus is half-hearted, lackluster, why would we expect more from our children and those we love? Have you noticed there's only one of the Ten Commandments that contains a promise? Honor your father and mother that your days may be long on the land. I'm thinking our brother Lloyd did a very good job of that. I'm, I'm thinking he honored his parents very well. God is counting on those of us who are parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles, to live holy lives. So our children, our families can and will honor us for God's glory. But if you want an answer as to why American society has collapsed and become so morally bankrupt and godless, you need to look no further than the demise of the pillar of American society, the family. There's a reason we say the two most dynamic witnesses for Jesus Christ in this day and age is number one, a Christian family. Number two, a Christian businessman or woman. They're both as rare as unicorns. But how did we get here? What has given rise to the death of what was once a Christian nation? Study the Bible and you'll find it only takes one generation, just one generation of a nation ignoring God and that nation will fall. We're in Rome and Rome is burning. So what do we do? Do we fiddle like Nero? Or do we face the fact that as a nation, we are fighting for our lives? The barbarians are at the gate. In fact, they've already crashed the gate. They've infiltrated every facet of our society. As Christians, we must face the fact that we will likely endure the same persecution as the early church. Christians are far and away the most persecuted people group on the planet. We are hated. You look at Israel and anything associated with God, especially his people, are hated. I cannot imagine that kind of hatred. I watched a clip of the Palestinians pulling a dead Israeli soldier out of a tank and 20 people stomping on him. I, that is satanic. Currently, the greatest genocides on the face of the earth are being carried out against Christians. 
This morning, I want to help us understand just how firmly entrenched the enemy is among us, even in the church. And when I say among us, I emphasize among us in the church. Last week, I sent up a flare about the fight brewing amongst the Cumberlands regarding the uh, liberal point of view and the conservative point of view. Today, I want to talk to you about how we got here. The progressive church has been among us for 50 years and beyond. Concurrent to the Jesus revolution of the 70s, Satan began a counteroffensive. And sadly, it's been very effective. But how exactly did the church in America slide into apostasy? Let me note some uh, historical mile markers for you. Robert Schuller, Crystal Cathedral. Robert Schuller has been called the father of the seeker-friendly gospel. The seeker-friendly gospel is a euphemism for the watered-down gospel. One gospel that offends no one and saves no one. Schuller taught the same thing the current pope teaches. Just be a good person. Let's not talk about sin. The Word of Faith movement, Kenneth Copeland and T.D. Jakes. You know what T.D. Jakes charges for a one-hour conference? For him to speak one hour, $15,000. What's his motivation? <clears throat> Then came the emergent church, specifically the universalism taught by Rob Bell. And then the prosperity self-help gospel of Joel Osteen and Joseph Prince. Joseph Prince is now 60 years old. Kenneth Copeland is 86. You see, this thing, prosperity gospel, has been around for a long time. But people have been trying to reinvent the gospel since the beginnings of the church. You cannot modify or improve the gospel. If you put an adjective in front of the gospel like prosperity or new age, it is no longer the gospel of Jesus Christ. As I said last week, the gospel of Jesus Christ is never a casualty of anything or anybody. The casualties are those who are duped into believing the lies of false teaching. When, all God, <clears throat> excuse me, when Almighty God destroys the existing heavens and earth and creates it anew, the gospel will be standing strong, immutable, incontrovertible, and eternal. If you follow politics at all, you've heard the term deep state. There's such a thing as the deep church, a.k.a. the apostate church, and it has permeated our society. Its tentacles have spread everywhere. It's a cancer and a very fast-growing cancer. The only cure is for believers to stand against it. 
We're being bombarded by a constant onslaught of false teaching, false doctrine, false worship, and even false worship music, which is a good reason for us to sing more old hymns. But let's focus on false doctrine. There is a juggernaut of false doctrine that has raised its evil head, and it is thrashing its way through the church. It's called the New Apostolic Reformation. And they even have their own Bible, just like the JWs. They've written their own so-called truth. It's called the Passion Translation. If you have one, burn it. In a nutshell, the New New Apostolic Reformation is a worldwide movement headed up by none other than Bethel Church, Redding, California. They teach that they are the new apostles, that they have a new revelation from God, a new interpretation of the Holy Scriptures, like we needed another sect of Mormons. There has only ever always been and will ever be one revelation from God, and his name is Jesus Christ. And no one can add a single word to what he has already said. The New Apostolic Reformation teaches that all churches... Protestant and Catholic alike should submit to their authority as the God-appointed new apostles and new prophets. These teachings have proliferated a number of so-called Bible-believing churches. How does this happen? Scripture tells us that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. This term was a mystery until we witnessed the power of the world wide web. Are we surprised that there's more evil on the internet than righteousness? And what about the radio waves? Turn on K Love Christian Radio and take note of how many of the top tunes are from Bethel Music. Bethel Church. Take a close look at Bethel's music lyrics and you will notice phrases they have embedded in their teachings such as declaration prayer. Declare it and make it so. Bethel teaches that we are to elevate our spirituality to a place where we can dictate and direct the activity of angels by simply declaring it. Show me one scripture in God's word that supports this. Show me one. Slide two, please. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14 from the Amplified. Are not all the angels ministering spirits sent out by God to serve, accompany, and protect those who will inherit salvation. Of course they are. The angels are agents of the Holy Spirit. Their activities are directed by the Holy Spirit, not us. This false teaching is very subtle. 
because the new apostolic reformation basically aligns with evangelical views on abortion. They teach the Trinity. They do not deny the divinity of Christ. They do not condone sexual sin. They purport to believe what most evangelical churches believe, except they say we should all submit to their authority. Only Christ has authority over his church. There's a reason we haven't had prophets for the past 2,000 years. But they're coming out of the woodwork today. Billy Graham did not teach this. Charles Stanley does not teach this. Chuck Swindoll does not teach this. In simplest terms, if you don't have a book in the Bible named after you, you're not an apostle and you're not a prophet. If you don't have a book named after you, you're not an apostle. The New Testament church, and specifically in this day and age, we're all called to be apostles and prophets. But we do not hold the Old Testament office of prophet or apostle. Nor do we shoulder the weight of those offices. In today's church, an apostle is rightly called a church planter. And when God prophesies to his church today, it is through the gifting of the Holy Spirit, which he passes out liberally to his church, local and worldwide. Tune in to any of these TV evangelists slash prophets and note how smug and elitist they are. God's people have no use for swagger. God's people operate in humility. There are only three offices in the New Testament church. Slide three, please. Orthodox Presbyterians have always believed this. And if someone tells you, hey, wait a minute, what about Ephesians chapter 4? What about Ephesians chapter 4? Do you know the context? The context is an enumeration of the offices that God himself installed expressly for the formation of the church before the New Testament was written. Note that Paul would often open his letters with the introduction, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And that introduction, that title has been canonized into Scripture. God will never canonize Bill Johnson or anything the man has to say. In today's church, there are only pastors, elders, and deacons. Obviously, we still have evangelists like Franklin Graham. And then you have Greg Glory. His church and everything he does is earmarked by evangelism, but he's still a pastor. Local churches and denominations support evangelists in the same way we support missionaries, locally and globally. But neither is an office in the present-day church. They are simply ministries. The office of apostles ceased with the 12 apostles. 
Note in Revelations, there are 12 foundation stones in heaven. And on each one is inscribed the name of an apostle. God ain't remodeling heaven because you think you're an apostle. And I've always been taught that the office of prophet ended with Jesus Christ. St. Paul is very explicit in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 that prophecy is now a gifting, not an office. And notice that in 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, and 1 Peter 5, Peter and Paul list the qualifications for only three offices. Pastor, elder, deacon. In the church today, we are all called to be apostles and prophets. The apostle is one who is sent out. Every last one of us has been called and sent out to accomplish the Great Commission. Today, anyone who speaks for God is a prophet. We should all be speaking for God every day to everyone we meet. No one in the present day church holds the office of prophet or apostle. And if anyone says they do, they're either delusional or a megalomaniac. And they're misrepresenting the word of God. So if anybody walks into this church saying they're a prophet or apostle, you don't need my permission to show them the door. But false teaching isn't the only sin we need to worry about in the church today. There's another sin which I think is even more dangerous than false teaching. It's called complacency. And none of us are immune to this. When you're complacent, you're spiritually asleep, and you cannot discern false teaching. Complacency is when we say to ourselves, relax, relax. You've done enough for the kingdom of God. Let somebody else carry the weight. Complacency is just another word for apathy. And then there's self-pride. Self-pride has caused the ruin of more Christians than anyone can count. And no one, no one is immune to it. And if you think you are, you're not in the Word. Billy Graham returned home from a very successful crusade. Immediately his wife told him, go mow the lawn. You need some humility. None of us are immune. Slide four. From R.C. Sproul, sin is cosmic treason. Sin is treason against a perfectly pure and sovereign God. It is an act of supreme ingratitude toward the one to whom we owe everything. To the one who has given us life itself. Have you ever considered the deeper Im implications of the slightest sin? That which we are saying to our Creator when we disobey Him at the slightest point. We are saying no 
to the righteousness of God. We are saying, God, your law is not good. My judgment is better than yours. Your authority does not apply to me. I am above and beyond your jurisdiction. Proverbs 16, verses 17 and 18 from the NIV. The highway of the upright avoids evil. Those who guard their ways preserve their lives. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So what highway are you on this morning? Have you unknowingly taken a detour? My daddy used to say, you're never as lost as when you only think you know where you're going. You see, there's your truth and then there's God's truth. Which one are you living? If anxiety is your food and drink these days, you either have a faith issue or you have a heart issue. E.H. Peterson. The way we conceive the future sculpts the present gives contour and tone to nearly every action and thought through our day. If our sense of the future is weak, we live listlessly. Much emotional and mental illness and most suicides occur among men and women who feel they have no future. The Christian faith has always been characterized by a strong and focused sense of the future with belief in the second coming of Jesus as the most distinctive detail. From the day Jesus ascended into heaven, his followers lived in expectancy of his return. He told them he was coming back. They believed he was coming back. They continue to believe it. For Christians, it is the most important thing to know and believe about the future. The practical effect of this is to be positively charged in each moment of the present with hope. For if your future is dominated by the coming again of Jesus, there's little room on the screen for projecting our anxieties and our fantasies. If we live in the hope of Christ's return, it takes the clutter out of our lives. We are far more free to respond spontaneously to the freedom of God. The New Testament church of Thessalonica knew a thing or two about the freedom of God. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, St. Paul gives high praise to the church of Thessalonica for their mature faith. Slide 5. Every time we think of you, we thank God for you. Day and night, you're in our prayers as we call to mind, number one, your work of faith. Number two, your labor of love. And number three, your patience of hope in following our Master Jesus Christ before God our Father. It is clear to us, friends, that God not only loves you very much, but also has put his hand on you for something special. 
Do we want God's hand on this church for something special? Stay tuned. I'll tell you how we do it. When the message we preached came to you, it wasn't just words. Something happened to you. The Holy Spirit put steel in your convictions. How do we put steel in our convictions? As a church, I think we have some work to do in this regard. I would say we, we have a very good fraternity. But God wants more than fraternity. He wants something more familial. And family will lay down its life for family. That's where he wants us to go. Number one, the work of faith. What is the work of faith? In John chapter 6, Jesus' disciples ask him, Master, what must me do to do the works of God? And Jesus answers, This is the work of God, that you believe on him who the Father has sent. We all believe, but do we follow? To be a true follower of Jesus, you must discipline your life. That's where we get the word disciple. We must let Jesus chip away at all our imperfections until what is left is a da Vinci sculpture. A sculpture that is an exact representation of Jesus Christ. Number two, the labor of love. We get a chance to put this to the test every day. We get to love those who make us upset, love those who, share, who do not share our ideology. And how do we do that? If that was easily done, there, there would be no disagreements in this entire world. Jesus says, love them as you love yourself. Have the same compassion for them as you do for yourself. Forgive them like I'm forgiving you completely. Number three, a patient hope in following Jesus Christ. The night before Jesus was crucified, he rose from the supper table, wrapped a towel around his waist, and began to wash his disciples' feet. Why? Because he knew from where he came, what he had come to do, and where he was going. John 13, 3. Knowing heaven awaits is the key ingredient of our maturity in Christ. Heaven alone allows us to see the big picture and puts our entire life in perspective and begs this question. Is God sovereign in your life? Let us pray. Father God, we're all loose cannons. None of us have filters on what we think or what we say. Sadly, it's seldom we glorify your name. 
but you are kind, you are loving. You know from which we are made. We are made from dust. But that's exactly why Jesus came. We bless your name. We, we glorify your name. We praise your name. That you think of enough of us to incorporate us into what you are doing in your world. You are saving, healing, baptizing, making all things new. We thank you. We bless your name. Go before us this week, Father. Inspire us. Empower us. By your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Slide six, please. For my benediction this morning, Ephesians 4, verses 2 through 3 from the Living Bible. Be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. The message says, be quick at mending fences. Make it so, Lord. Try always to be led along together by the Holy Spirit, and so be at peace with one another. As I stated before, we're very fraternal, and that's a good thing. That glorifies God. But let's go a step further. Let's be passionate in our love for each other. Let's make the way we live out our lives filled with the Savior's joy, peace, comfort, and love. Jesus has an aroma. His perfume is love and grace. Let's make sure that perfume is found on us. I want to give you a thought for the coming week. Here's another scripture that you can, well, actually a thought that you can scotch tape to your refrigerator door. From Max Licato, God loves and accepts you just the way you are, but he refuses to leave you that way. He wants to give you a heart just like Jesus. Every one of us, every last one of us, including your pastor, needs a heart transplant. Every sermon I preach, I preach first to myself and then to you. Let's come lay it all down. Lay it all down at the altar and give Jesus absolute sway in our lives. Blessings to you all. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you.
Go in peace.